Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Second Rail Education Podcast. My name is John Heinz, and I have a special guest today. The topic of our conversation is going to be a phenomenon that I'm guessing about 30% of my audience is familiar with, or at least has heard, even if they haven't been working with it directly or experienced it directly in their lives. And it's the concept of third culture kids. Ruben Marquina is an old friend of mine who I've known for almost a decade. Almost a decade, yes. Yeah, I think almost a decade. And we are going to have a conversation today about third culture kids because... As we will quickly learn, Ruben is a third culture kid. The name is probably an understatement of where he actually is. Uh, he's probably far more than third culture. It's probably more like eighth culture or something like that. But we can talk about that. Ruben, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. How are you? I'm great. It's good. Thanks for doing this. I know the time change between Mexico and China is pretty extreme. So I appreciate you doing this at this odd hour. No, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. The reason we're doing this podcast is because I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. And recently you were in Spain and we and came across an old friend of a mutual friend who got us back in touch. And I, I, it was perfect because I had been thinking about the concept of third culture kids for quite a while and thought it would be a, a great subject for an education podcast that's rooted to a large extent in my experience of having lived in different places around the world, and I know you have lived far more and have experienced far more deeply those cultures. So I kind of want to talk to you about that. So tell me about your background a little bit. Where have you lived? Well, I am originally from Mexico. I was born in Mexico City in 1985, and you know I'm what is known in Latin America as a mestizo. I then moved to Texas, where I where I studied. I did my high school years. That's where my TCK experience really started. Um, then I went and moved to Canada. I lived in Montreal. Finished my studies in Montreal in two thousand and nine, and then moved to Barcelona to to do a master's uh, in neuroscience and part of my residence. Moved to Berlin. Uh, I lived there for five years, and then I've moved back to Spain. But between those, you know, academic years, I've been all over the world. I've been to Israel. I've been to Lebanon, Syria, uh, Dubai. Uh, I've been to Africa. <laughs> I haven't been to Asia yet, but that's actually part of my plan for next year. Well, talk to me a little bit about the distinction because we're as a starting point, we probably want to get the definition out for people who have never heard of the concept of third culture kid. But how do you define a third culture kid? Well, a third culture kid are children who are raised, you know, uh, usually the concept is parents have moved abroad for career purposes and then the children are born, are raised in different cultures. Uh, the term Originally, was coined to by a um, sociologist, Ruth Usam, who used it in her studies to for expatriates living in India, and whose parents had moved abroad for as as diplomats, missionaries, and members of the military. But over the years, third culture kid have really expanded now as as an effect of globalization. The term has been become popularized to describe children or young adults who follow very diverse cross-borders de- development. Well, it has very connotations today 
And there are very, very many, very variations of a TCK today. Yeah, so I, I often talk about third culture kid, my third culture kidness to the extent that, as you mentioned, it can apply to people beyond the time where their parents would take them abroad to my time when I started moving to Scotland in the, in the, the, late, seven, the late 80s. And I distinguish third culture kidness from tourism. Is that something you agree with? And how, how do you think about the difference between maybe being a tourist and being a third culture kid? I think the most important thing about TCK is that a child is raised, their brain, their neurodevelopment and their full identity be, before you're an adult. You know, today uh, people are traveling as adults. They study abroad, probably university years, and their identities are very well established when they go abroad. So at TCK, is, the difference is that they are, their brains are very malleable. And, and so they don't pledge loyalty to a certain nation. In fact, TCKs have very much difficulties answering the question, where are you from? Because they, they've moved between places. And in my case, I was 15 when, when I started living abroad because I am a Mexican mestizo. Uh, my, which it's a term. Yeah, explain the term a little bit more. Yeah, well, Mexican national identity was, has been constructed in terms of the idea that Mexicans are the product of a creative mixing of Indians and Europeans. In theory, this is an argument about fusing together of cultures, but in practice it gets conflated with the idea of mixing of races. And the term still has changed over time, but it used to refer to individuals who hold half Spanish and half Amerindian ancestry. In the colonial area, for example, it was one of the many castes, the way to classify individuals based on their phenotype or physical appearance, but mainly the color of their skin. And so I come from a very interesting ethnic mix of parents. From my mother's side, they are fair-skinned and Protestant. And from my father's side, brown-skinned and Catholic. As the youngest of three, and during my childhood, I was subject to the consequence of racial ideology of the mestizaje, of this mixture. I was a little dark one, a morenito, what is called here, uh, whereas my siblings and cousins were lighter skinned. So I was exposed to different variations of cultural identity growing up in Mexico before I even considered living abroad. I studied in private schools, and there was a time in, in 1999 that I applied to a boarding school in Texas, and I was really, really scared. At that time, there was a spread on the news that Texan ra Texas ranchers were killing illegal immigrants crossing the border, and I was really, really scared on going to the States because I, I, you know, I thought, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Morenito, I'm, I'm brown one, they're going to look down upon. But it was actually the, the best decision I made because this boarding school provided me with a life training, basically. This is a, um, one of the characteristics of most TCKs. They make their studies in an international school, so they are introduced to different variations of cultures. I remember this boarding school is, is called Presbyterian Pan American School and is in Kingsville, Texas. And although the majority of the children there were rich kids from Mexico, <laughs> that wasn't really my case because I, 
I actually earned a scholarship through my church in Mexico City to go study there. And and when I when I arrived there, there were children from Asia, from you know, from going from India to Korea, China, Japan, Africa, and that was amazing because we all share, we all had in common religion. I mean, the the the, the Christian religion. And, and one of the best, you know, at that time as a teenager, that the exposure to see how spirituality was professed in, in all these different children with different backgrounds, it was really, really, really special. So I really thank for, for that experience. One of the ideas you mentioned right off the bat, that's an important distinction in my head between how we used to think about the TCKs and how I think we're beginning to think about TCKs is that you said you made the choice to go. Yeah, actually, my parents didn't want me to go. I was the baby one. And I guess I was always a curious one. I was a curious one because I always, like I said, as as being the brown one in the family, I always felt not excluded, but I always felt different. And unlike my siblings that that were very home based, I I will spend a lot of time with my family in southern Mexico, where my father's family are, is from. I will spend time with my mother's uh, side of the family in Puebla, and so I was always very very curious about already the Mexican mixture. And as I I applied to this boarding school. In Texas, I was exposed to the Mexican-American subculture. They call themselves Chicanos. Explain that distinction between those two places in Mexico. Explain that cultural distinction. Well, the I learned this distinction while, while at the boarding school, way before I, I knew I was a TCK. That was the first step to notice the difference of the differences of, of culture and mixing. The history between Mexico and the United States, you know, the Mexican-American War of 1848, Texas used to be part of Mexico. And so a lot of Mexicans, and that's a huge debate nowadays, you know, with all the Chicano culture, which are Mexicans that never moved. They, they actually always identify, they always say, the border moved. We always were originally from here. I remember <laughs> as someone from Mexico, the subculture of the Mexican-American the Spanglish and having their own dialect, having their own Tex-Mex food, like chimichangas and burritos and, and all of these things that they are famous in, in Texas and New Mexico, even California, Arizona. So they all have uh, Mexican-American families that they go way back to, to, you know, when back to the colonial times when, when, when those states were part of Mexico. So those were very interesting ex- like cultural exchanges in terms of, of historical backgrounds for me because I was taught a different version of history in Mexico about the war and about the losing of those territories. And when I was in, in, in the high school, in the boarding school, you know, to learn a different version of the history and how everything went down to become what it is now, U.S. territories. That was very, very interesting as a teenager. I never, I never knew that I will never come back to Mexico. In fact, I never knew that I will become a TCK. The original plan for my parents was to allow me to go to high school there, to improve my English, to have a better ed- education. 
but they were expecting me to come back and to the university in Mexico. You didn't. I never and, did. Yeah, I never did. <laughs> talk about that one. I, I remember that I always was someone who was interested in learning. I actually became second in my class. I was salutatorian of my of my gener of my class generation. I remember in my during my senior year, a lot of university and colleges will come to recruit students. Even the military will come to all the international students that will say, "Well, if you the the U.S. Navy, the U.S. military, they can sponsor you, and you can become a citizen down the road if you come." study with us and i wanted to do that actually i really wanted to take on to take that down that road but my parents said no 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 it, it was i lived 9-11 when i was in texas iraq war in afghanistan and and so my parents never supported that but i earned them a scholarship to do my undergraduate also in texas at shrine university in the in the hill country of texas is called the heart of texas very beautiful area and 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 that's where when i was really proud of my academic achievements i remember i, I befriended lots of white people <laughs> i was really scared in the beginning because believe it or not when you are you know when you when you leave your country as a as a third world country immigrant you go places with a little bit of many complexes. You know, you you feel you feel ashamed, you feel embarrassed. And Sharnia University and the people that I met there, they really felt let allow me to feel myself. Not only I became proud to be Mexican, but also I started to mold my identity, even my sexuality at that time. I came out when I was in Shriner University. I actually was part of a fraternity, Phi Delta Theta, Texas Sigma chapter. And that really put me into a diff different scale to look which direction I wanted to go. Let's finish your formative and third culture kid status years or TCK travels. You obviously have your Mexican identity. You have your U.S. identity. What else? When I was in in my undergrad, I, I really took advantage of the scholarship that I earned. I did summer school, but I also worked during the summer. And I always wanted to, a, a professor, Dr. Kathleen Hudson, she suggested I will work as a camp counselor. And so I will work in Florida. And then one summer, in, it was in 2005. I went to a Jewish camp in near Toronto in Canada. I was curious to explore Canada, and so I went there to work as a camp counselor. And that's when I took on that other border. You know, I crossed that other border in North America. Living during the summer in Canada, I identified the intellectual differences between Canadians and, and U.S. Americans and also learn about the differences about the healthcare system and also about the educational system. And I wanted to become a doctor. I wanted to study medicine, but in the U.S. to become a doctor is very, very competitive, very, very expensive. And so they told me about the opportunities to study in Canada. And so I followed the same protocol they already had, which was to apply <laughs> and to knock on doors. I applied to U of T, the University of Toronto, 
and to McGill University, the, the Harvard of Canada. And so I, I, was, I, was, I was accepted to both. Obviously, I went for McGill University. I had started pre-med in Shriner in Texas. And when they accepted me at McGill, I said, no, I'm going, I'm moving to Montreal. So I chose Montreal because uh, it's already a bilingual city. I was studying French already uh, in Mexico when I was in private school. I also studied French in Texas, and I said, "Okay, let's let's give it a try. Let's let's see what Montreal has to offer." And so I moved to to Montreal in 2007, and I had already college credits for medical school that I did in the U.S. I only only had to be in Montreal for almost three years. Uh, to complete medicine and living in Montreal, living in that bilingual culture. I don't know if you had the chance to go to Montreal, but it's very European. It's very French. It's actually now that I've lived in Europe for a while, I found it even more French than France because they 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 have a very interesting history uh, with the French Canadian past. Sure, wanting to retain their history distinct from the rest of Canada, the Anglophone Canadian culture. Yeah, correct. And and Montreal obviously was more diverse culturally speaking than Texas. You know, it had a lot of people from Europe, um, a lot of people from the Middle East. Uh, and in fact, I I started dating at that time somebody from Lebanon. So he told me so much about Europe. He told me about uh, the Middle East. And I will think of Europe very, very far away, like almost impossible to even consider studying there. But Majid actually inspired me to give it a try to go to Europe. All right. So you finished at McGill and that you finished at McGill and then you now you're and then you took off for Europe. Yeah. Yeah, I went to Europe. I went to Europe. You know, living in Montreal is so beautiful, but the winters are horrible. You experience the worst winters, uh, (laughs) minus 40 degrees. And so I remember there was a professor from the University of Barcelona who came to talk about this biomedical research park. He was giving a presentation about sunny Barcelona with the beach right there. And we were at minus 40 and I said, oh, I want to be there. I was accepted. So I moved there in 2000, uh, late 2009. Majid, my Lebanese ex, he also was accepted in Paris, in the University of Compiègne near, near Paris. And so we both went to, to live to Europe. Okay. Somewhere along the way, I know you make it to Germany. Somewhere along the way, yeah. I, you know, I, I arrived to Barcelona and I fell in love with it. I fell in love also with the Catalan identity as a Spanish speaker the, also the cultural shock of finding the roots of many expressions in Spanish that we use in Latin America to actually find its origin in Spain was amazing. But unfortunately, in 2010 and 2011, Spain was hit by this recession. And so it was impossible to find opportunities to work in hospitals. And so Germany was the best option. Probably hasn't really slowed down that much today. Yeah. A professor from McGill, he said, well, 
you know, why don't you return to Canada? I said, no, I don't want to go back to Canada. Do you, can you refer me to any of your contacts in Europe? And he said, well, do you speak German? I said, no. He said, well, I'm going to talk to this friend from the Charité University in Berlin. And so little did I know that he got me an interview. And so I went to Berlin. They said, well, what is your plan? What is your purpose? My studies in Barcelona were already, I was already specializing in neuroscience. It was very interesting for me to study neuroscience because at the same time that I was already moving between places. I was I was becoming a little bit concerned about my psych, my own psychology. I had moved already from place to place, and I was concerned that I wasn't actually forming an identity in Barcelona. That's when I found out that I was a TCK because there was a psychologist who gave a talk about third culture children. And so they talk about all the psychological effects that it brings to not having a sense of belonging, commitment, and attachment to a culture. All of these factors said, oh, well, now I know what I am. I am not alone in this world. I'm not completely rootless. I just have a different upbringing. I have a different view of the world. And so I became very, very proud about being a TCK. And so when I went to Berlin during the interview process, actually, I said, well, I'm interested to, to do research about cognition, the cognitive benefits or challenges of the general human species, the human psyche. My dissertation in Berlin and all the research that I did in Berlin was on the cognitive reserve theory, which is a theory that talks about how a human being is able to train different aspects of cognition in the brain and actually gives a better support system for when a, a disease takes over. Explain that for people who haven't heard the concept before. Yeah, well, the cognitive reserve theory is actually one of the areas of study now. Basically, it's a concept of under, to understand cognitive health. It is the ability of the brain to improvise or find an alternative way of getting something done in face of a disease. For instance, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's or Parkinson, research has proven or in, in evidence that those patients who had a childhood and upbringing with, that developed different aptitudes of the brain, such as speech or, or music talents or creative abilities, it creates a reserve, a cognitive reserve in the brain. It, it actually works different patterns and uh, interconnectivity of the neurons in the face of disease. I remember I was in the stroke unit and I worked with an um, animal model that mimicked stroke in mice. <laughs> and actually, I was the first one to, to tell the research group, well, we're using lab mice, but most of these lab animals are really, really stressed, and they don't really mimic human upbringing. Most of animal model research doesn't really translate 
the same upbringing of a human. So my research model actually involved me raising my own leaders of mice from a very, very young age. So they will get used to my, my smell and my touch. And, and basically they were my pets. You know, one of the, what, when you're a researcher and working with animals, they stress a lot. Oh, you don't have to befriend your animals because you're going to kill them. <laughs> but my premise was if we want to replicate what goes on in a human brain, we have to actually mimic the same upbringing on an animal. And so my research model was quite good. I had standard lab mice. I had my own group of mice that I raised. And then I had different genetic knockout mice. My particular research mice, they show less motor dysfunction and they actually serve the surviving rate to the operation and to to the healing process of the brain. Let me ask you this. It sounds like you made a transition from the cognitive reserve theory work you were doing in trauma patients, stroke victims, and the other, the other categories you mentioned to something longer term and maybe more cultural. Can you talk about that? Like, how did you make that decision and, it did, and how did you make the decision to do that kind of research? I guess until this day, as I talk more about third culture children, working in research, you learn to classify people into trials based on groups, genetic groups and population groups. Third culture kids is only one more group classification to, of study groups. You also have cross-cultural children who are those children that are born to parents of different cultures. Science, the scientific community studies cross-cultural children based on their genetic feedback and their genetic resistance to disease. And as I worked on my research project, I was actually projecting a lot of my own experience as a TCK, trying to, it sounds, it sounds idiotic, but there is something called animal psychology. I was trying to put a little more of empathy on the animals, everything that I do as a psychotherapist or raising awareness about cultural diversity. It's about empathy. That is one of the quality and, and characteristics of TCKs. We are very emotional and we really care about the well-being of others. We all have different cultural backgrounds. Every culture has a different interpretation of success. Success is usually related to money or consumerism and properties. Uh, but TCKs, because we are global nomads, nomads, and we're moving from place to place, we're very minimalistic. Our focus is not really on possessing things or really like becoming you know, to, to put our ego, oh yeah, we're, we're travelers all over. No, we actually develop a lot of caring for people and we want to transmit the origin of, well, we're all humans, we're all here. It doesn't matter where you're from. At most TCKs worldwide, whether in the military, whether religious or on business professions, you know, they, they actually stress a lot and highlight empathy. It's called interpersonal sensitivity, which is our increased exposure to a variety of perceptions and lifestyle. And lifestyles allows 
us to monitor emotions and register society norms and cues more adeptly so as to produce higher sensitivity among humans and ways of life. It's a beautiful connection that I've had with other TCKs. And, 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 and to answer your earlier questions about what is the difference about TCKs and tourists, perhaps is this expanded higher sensitivity to the general human species. Sure, sure. I've worked with a lot of TCKs at the international schools that I've been at around the world. And the, the kind of themes that I've seen are the first one, obviously, being they're all polyglot, which may be obvious, but that's number one, because it's impressive to a large portion of people who aren't. They adapt quickly to new environments. They seem to make friends easily. But the kind of downside, and from what I've seen, is it seems like there's such an intense focus on the present that there sometimes seems to be a lack of commitment. And then I also noticed that there's a tendency to not really be good at saying goodbye. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's just a, if that's just my limited experience or if that's part of the culture. So I'm curious, talk a little bit about what you would consider the hallmarks of TCKs, both good and bad. As I've moved and traveled along, and I've met many other TCKs, and also there's, in the last 15 years, sociologists, and there's a lot of research being done to compare the differences among first world country TCKs and third world country TCKs. Again, it has to do with where their focus is on. For instance, American TCKs report significantly higher levels of prejudice than non-American TCKs. The challenges for Many TCKs are the confused loyalties, the painful, is really, really painful, a painful awareness of reality, adjusting to cultures where the only culture that is discussed or focused on is itself. Another common challenge is ignorance of the home culture. And for the longest time, because I have an expanded attachment to many different countries, I will become ignorant about Mexico. <laughs> and I will feel really, really stupid when someone will come and say, oh, yeah, I've been to Mexico. Do you know, I don't know, Aguascalientes or Puerto Vallarta? And will tell me how great Mexico was. And I'll be like, well, I haven't lived that. I don't know that. So um, actually, I call it my duty a while back to to actually embrace my Mexican identity because it was forgotten for the longest time. Our, our cultural intelligence sometimes is obscured by the confusion. Let me ask you about that, because you raised the idea of there being distinctions even within this category of third culture kid, which may tie the different groups back to nations or other identities. So I have two questions. One is about identities, but the, the other one is kind of a more rudimentary question, which is, is this idea of third culture kid a rich kid phenomenon. It sounded like you introduced the idea early on that your kind of entree to being a third culture was not really from, you know, necessarily a, a privileged background experience. Although it certainly seems like a lot of people would say, wow, to have the option to be able to move around so freely is the, is a privileged kid experience. Is that how you think of it? Or do you correlate the two at all? I think originally and in principle, yes. TCKs are privileged, you know, the majority of TCKs are privileged kids, being the children of diplomats, missionaries, members of the military, um, and, 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 you know, children that the parents can afford such education. 
but I think around 20% of all TCKs worldwide are mere coincidences of, like my case, that we put our attention on education and, and learning and, and academic fortes. And, and so we, we, sort of, we sort of know that that will op- always open a door. So this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you you doing this. I will. Um, I know that a lot of times our listeners want to get in contact with you, so I'll be sure to put your contact information and, and your website up on the Second Rail website so people can easily get there. But this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. No, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in another fortnight for another episode. 